Father, we give you thanks for your word that you have provided it for us. You have given us a road map, a owner's manual, so to speak, on how we're to live this life. We had asked for your blessing upon your word as it sinks into our minds. We pray that it would become fruitful and produce the type of fruit that you desire, the love, the joy, peace, patience, kindness, all of those things, Lord, that you wish that we would present to others and have as a way of life. And we thank you for it, and we thank you for this little epistle of John. In Jesus' name, amen. In 1 John chapter 3, we last covered that we are not all children of God. I covered that with you. The world does not recognize that we are children of God, secondly. And thirdly, being children of God means we will be transformed into his likeness or the likeness of Christ. And I told you exactly what our bodies would be like, or at least what we have been given as far as information, what our bodies will be like when we are transformed. And fourth, being children of God causes us to want to purify ourselves. And I let you know that we have this fight going on within us, this battle that is within. Romans chapter 7, I went through that, that you have this flesh and you have this spirit that war against each other, and it is a constant battle. And we know that even fights and quarrels that happen among us are because of what takes place inside. We want something and we don't get it. So we constantly have to do what is known as crucify the flesh. Now in 1 John chapter 3, beginning in verse 4, I just want to pick it up there to review what I left off with. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins, and in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray who does, who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in him. He cannot go on sinning because he has been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God, nor is anyone who does not love his brother. And so it seems difficult for us to grasp this idea that once you become a Christian, you stop sinning. And we've already established that's not the case. And so that can't be exactly what it is saying there. So what is it saying exactly? Well, we went through and I gave you that we're not, number one, sinless. We know that there is this idea of the doctrine of perfection, but I don't know of anyone who has actually achieved that. Maybe you do, but uh, it would certainly be rare. The only one that I know that is like that is Jesus Christ. Secondly, the practicing sin. I asked you, have you committed the same sin more than once since you have been a believer? And then I asked you, well, have you committed it five times or ten times or maybe a hundred times? Have you been angry at somebody without a just cause? You know, those types of things. If you look at yourself and you say, have I done that sin more than once? Well, it sounds like that would be a habit to me. And I think the flesh is in the habit of sinning. And so this can't mean specifically that you will not practice a sin or you will not repeat a sin. 
Also, John chapter 8, verse 7, the Gospel of John, it talks about here the woman who was caught in the act of adultery. And Jesus turned to the individuals who were standing around and said, if you are without sin, let you can be the one who cast the first stone. And these were the leaders of Israel, the ones who would tell the people how to live according to the word of God. And, of course, they weren't without sin either. Uh, we don't cease to practice sin when we get saved by Christ, but also there are those who can be caught in a sin. And this Galatians chapter 6 verse 1 tells those who are spiritual to restore those who are caught in a sin. And I gave you the example of the person who is the alcoholic, the person who just needs to go get another drink. It's almost as if they drink and then they feel sorrowful afterwards. And they're saying, but Lord, you know, I, I, I can't seem to stop. I need to get help. And usually they'll check into a most excellent way program or a 10-step program or 12-step program, excuse me. And once they get into that, they get assistance, but they always have this tendency to want to go back because the flesh wants to lead them back. And I also said, do not be deceived that drunkards will not inherit the kingdom of God. So there must be a difference between the one who feels he's caught and the one who is an alcoholic that confesses Christ. And I'll get into that in a minute. Also, in a sense, we are unable not to sin. And what I mean by that is we have this flesh. We dwell inside of these bodies. Paul said we have this tent that he, he said he lives in this tent of a body. In other words, it's a dwelling place. Now, most of you have been in a tent at some particular time. I've been in the tent up in the high Sierras with bears on the outside. We could hear them and sniffing our heads inside the tent, that type of thing. And so we've been in a tent. We could easily walk out of the tent. We can't do that until we die. We cannot give up this body until we die. If we do give up this body, we die. And that's why Christ says you have to have a new body. This body is so bad. It is so corrupt. God says it cannot inherit the kingdom of God. You have to be given a new one. And so this flesh, all it ever wants to do is satisfy itself. And it is our job to be in the fight, to stop it, to say, no, you won't. And your flesh comes back and says, oh, yes, I will. And you get involved in this fight with your actual physical body. And I talk to you about food and sleep and water, all of those things the body will say, you have to have this, and I will not let you keep on going without it. And so it is a, a struggle. We are not to be mastered by anything in the body. So it does not mean that we are sinless. It does not mean that you will not repeat a particular sin. It doesn't mean you won't be without sin. It doesn't mean you will cease to sin. It does not mean you cannot be caught in a sin and it does not mean that the flesh will allow you never to sin. And so those are the things that it doesn't say. And you always want to look at the negative of a passage. Well, what doesn't it mean? If this is what it says on the face, what doesn't it mean? And we can clearly go through Scripture and bring out those points. So everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. Now, in the Old Testament... And in the New Testament, when Jesus was around, they had this thing called the law. It was the five books of Moses that was considered the law. And then you had the prophets after that. But the law was what they were to be guided by. They had these ceremonial cleansings. They had this civil and religious law that they were dealing with. And these laws were given by God 
directly to Moses for the people. And again, the three specific types were civil law, ceremonial law, and criminal law. Now, if you were a sinner in the Old Testament, you would break those laws and you would have to bring a sacrifice to the temple to be sacrificed for your sin. And there were different civil laws. And we have the same thing. We have criminal law and we have civil law. I'm going to go back in time a little bit. O.J. Simpson, he he won the criminal law case. He was not convicted of the murder for, what was her name? Nicole. What was her last name? Nicole Brown. He was not convicted for that. But he was convicted in civil court. So there was criminal court and there was civil court. And he had to pay restitution. Now, they've never been able to collect the restitution that they are owed, the parents of Nicole Brown. But this civil law was the one that won out. Now, this civil law would be, for instance, if somebody harms you. And uh, say, for instance, they damage your eye just because of carelessness, not because they were doing anything criminal. In the Old Testament, it would have been an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. That was civil law. It's not that you had to go be incarcerated for a while, but you were required to pay back that individual for the loss that they had sustained. Then there was a ceremonial law. The people under the covenant that Moses had given to the people, they were not allowed to eat any meat with blood still in it. They were not allowed to practice divination or sorcery. That would be, in today's parlance, that would be, you are not to go to a palm reader. Don't go to a palm reader and have them tell your future, a a fortune teller, like in the movie Ghost, Whoopi Goldberg, right? She was a fortune teller. You're not supposed to do that. God never says that that stuff sometimes doesn't work. He just says, stay away from it because it opens you up to the dark angelic realm or the fallen realm of the angels and you're not or demonic realm i should say you're not supposed to mess with that stuff and of course ouija boards things like that he says don't do it and sorcery is where you would combine that with the taking of drugs if uh you went back to the 60s and the LSD and the psychedelics and all of that. Some of you are smiling like, yeah, I remember those days well. Uh, we're supposed to avoid that because that also is a gateway. God wants us to not be participating in anything to do with that. Also, uh, the men were not to cut the hair on the sides of their head or clip off the edges of their beard. And if you go to Israel today you will see the grown men have these curls on the side of their head that go down. And they're growing longer. That means they're more involved in their faith and they have been astute in all the observances that they're supposed to watch out for. And they haven't changed anything. They still do that today. Now, also, you're not to uh, degrade your daughter by making her a prostitute. That's one of the things that is there. Observe the Sabbath and... You're to have reverence for his sanctuary. You're not to turn to mediums and seek out spiritists, for you will be defiled by them. And so that was the ceremonial law. A priest was never to touch a dead body. You couldn't do any work on the Sabbath. Uh, And the priests, they translated the law in the Old Testament to things that they thought would comport with that. Or, for instance, they would give commentary on what the Old Testament said. In the Old Testament, in the ceremonial law, they would say, 
look, you're not allowed to look into a mirror on the Sabbath because if you see something that needs changing, you're going to want to change it and that would constitute work. And so you can't work. Uh, if you go to Israel today and you get into one of their high-rise buildings, they have the automatic um, elevators. You just walk right in and it stops on every floor so you don't have to push the button which would constitute work because somebody has to get the electricity going and you make them work so you ought not to do that. And then when you walk into the hotel room, the lights turn on automatically during a certain period of time and they will stay off at night because you don't want to push that button because that would constitute work. And so they've, they've taken it to the nth degree. And Jesus called them hypocrites for doing that, but that's what they do today. They don't want to be involved in any kind of work. So this is their ceremonial law. If you go into a restroom next to the western wall over there for the men, they will have these pitchers of water, uh, similar to the pitchers you would get in a hospital. And they, they have to wash their hands in a particular way and let the water roll off. And, and if they don't do it that way, then they can become unclean. When you walk up to the western wall during the afternoon prayer session, you'll see the young men who have the curls on the side of their heads and they will all huddle together because they don't want to touch the Gentiles that are going by because then they will become unclean and they won't be able to go to the wall and pray because they have touched something and been defiled. And so they're, they're going to the nth degree when it comes to keeping these ceremonies in the law. Also, an example of criminal law, anyone who strikes a man and kills him shall surely be put to death. Now, we have that in our criminal law system here today. And there are those who would say we need to institute the Old Testament laws in our society today. They're called theonomists. And they would say if somebody commits adultery, you're to stone them publicly. You're to bring them out. That's what the Old Testament did. They would stone them publicly. Or if somebody was unclean, you know, in some way, you're to throw them out of the camp. You're to isolate them, that type of thing. And it, it just if you had a rash. And so all of these things, when it comes to the civil law, the ceremonial law, and the criminal law, we could be violators. You probably already violated a couple of these. If you had uh, cheese on your hamburger, uh, that would be a violation. If you go to Israel today and you go to a mall and you go up to Burger King and you ask for a cheeseburger, they will not give it to you because a cheeseburger is not to be uh, made and put the cheese on the meat. Um, actually, there was an article just a couple of days ago. A guy was thrown into prison in the military because he had a cheeseburger. And they're, they're supposed to be kosher in their eating, but this guy had just transferred over from the United States and really wasn't as familiar as he should have been. And he had a cheeseburger, and so they threw him in the brig. But they let him out uh, after a few days. And so they're pretty stern about observing these particular laws. Now, if we were to be under that today, we'd certainly be a lawbreaker. So this lawlessness that can be referred to can be breaking the laws that Moses gave. But with us in Christ, we have fulfilled the law. In Christ. That's why Jesus came. He came to fulfill all those Old Testament laws, the ones that would throw us under the penalty of judgment and damnation. And also, if we fulfill the law, or we fulfill the law if we love, if we abide in Christ. And so that Old Testament law is completely done away with. And for the Christian, the law, the Old Testament law, specifically the Ten Commandments, it's summed up in two laws, right? You guys remember what those are? Those of you who have been Christians for a while, what's the two laws? First one is 
Yes. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And what is the next one? Love your neighbor as yourself. And so if you go to the Ten Commandments and you see those, you can condense it down into two. Those are the only commandments that we need to follow. Now, there are a lot of commands in the New Testament. It has been said that there are more commands and imperatives in the New Testament than there are in the Old Testament. And so you have to make sure that if you have a question, am I breaking God's law to love him first or to love my neighbor as myself, then I know that I have broken the law. If I've always considered God first and then my neighbor second, you know, then everything is good. I'm going to give you a scenario. Now, I've given this scenario before. But for those of you who haven't been here, this will be a fun exercise. This is a true story. <clears throat> a woman who was a missionary to, I think it was one of the South Pacific Islands. In these islands, these uh, particular villagers, they had this law that said if a young woman who was not married ever slept with a young man who was not married, they were to be put to death. And so this missionary went there, and she was a nurse as well. And the missionary uh, had this young woman come to her. And this young woman said that she was pregnant and that she had slept with this young man. And this young woman wanted the nurse to give her an abortion. So the missionary agreed to do it because she felt that if she took the life of the child, at least one life would be spared how say you did she do right that's good (laughs) there's one person that says no she didn't do right and why not number one she slept with a man and did not love god with all her heart mind soul and strength because both fornication and adultery are prohibited in the bible so she broke the first commandment the second commandment is she wasn't loving the child she was taken alive she was committing murder she was breaking the ten commandments which were there and so she broke both of those commandments in doing so both the nurse and the young woman and so that's how you judge those things sometimes it seems like well i don't know you know you save one life and and but you have to take another one what should you do because life is precious in the eyes of god and that's what this missionary thought and she was incorrect the the penalty should have been invoked whatever they were going to do In that culture, she would have had to have let them do that. But certainly, we are called never to commit murder. We're never to take a life. And so that's how we judge ourselves. It's those two commandments. Now, so what does all of this mean? We do not practice sin. It seems like we cannot get out from the yoke of sin because of our bodies. Well, in Christ, we have this new nature. Now, this seems kind of, I want to say nebulous or it seems mystical. We have this new nature that we have been given when you accept Christ. When you accept Christ, his Holy Spirit indwells you, and he gives you new life. You have been born again, right? Gospel of John says, no, you're not that you must be born again. In other words, we are born into this life through water, but we have to be born into the next life through the Spirit. And so we have been given this new life. That new life, the spiritual nature, dwells within us. So does the old nature. It dwells within us. Therefore, we have that conflict. In the new nature, it cannot sin. Our old nature, all it can do is sin. It is completely corrupt. 
That's why we have the conflict. So when God looks at us and we are in Christ, he looks at our new nature. Because if you are a believer, you desire to do what is good. You have that desire. You know what wrong is. Especially as you become more mature in the faith, you know instantly what wrong is. And when you commit the act that is sin or you go in the wrong direction, which is wrong or unacceptable to God, you feel this thing called guilt. And this guilt comes upon you, go, I did wrong. And what are we supposed to do when that happens? First John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He doesn't say, go run 10 laps and get this out of your system. He doesn't say, go take a cold shower. He doesn't say, go beat your body. Martin Luther thought that if he took a flagellum and he hit his back, that he would bring his body under subjection. I think I mentioned last week that Colossians chapter 3 says that the harsh treatment of the body doesn't enable you not to sin. Your body just resurrects and says, Gives me, give me more. But your spirit says, no, I cannot do this. Remember the struggle that Joseph had and, and Potiphar's wife wanted to sleep with him? He said, no, I must not do this. That was a struggle, an epic struggle that was going on that we all have. He was just saying, no, I can't. And he fled the place and his robe was left behind for which Potiphar's wife used it to accuse him of trying to rape her. And so this, this battle is taking place in our new nature. We cannot sin. God looks at that nature in us. In our old nature, he says it has to be destroyed and he will destroy that. And so when it says we cannot sin, that is true. In our new nature, we cannot sin. But it's hard for us to grab hold of that, say, well, I know I don't want to, but I a lot of times do. What, how come I'm not very strong? Well, it says if you live in the Spirit, if you walk by the Spirit, you'll not fulfill the desires of the flesh. Well, what does that mean exactly? It means if you abide in Christ. And you might say, well, what does that mean? Well, Jesus described it like this. If you have a grapevine and you have been grafted into the grapevine and you are spreading out and you just start producing fruit, you're abiding in Christ. You are in him all the time. Your mind is saturated with things that are good. Uh, Oftentimes we will, uh, you'll wake up first thing in the morning and you'll have this wicked thought that is there and you might dwell on it a little bit. And you go, I shouldn't be thinking about that kind of stuff. What am I thinking about that for? I need to think about things which are good. And you'll just have a tendency to go in that direction. Things that are filled with wickedness, things that are filled with sin, you want to think about those things because to the flesh they are pleasurable. But if you're dwelling in Christ, uh, for instance, uh, when you want to speak something, I, I haven't given you this verse in a long time, but I've had several people memorize it, Ephesians 4.29. You know, the things you want to say that when you're mad at somebody, you just want to open your mouth and spew on them, right? Spew on them in a bad way. Well, let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, right? That's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to get that lion of the tongue behind the gate of the teeth and thereby walk in the spirit. We're to have that, we're to be engaged in that battle, so to speak. Now, if we do this, It will produce in us works. People will look at us and say, that person is a believer. That person I know follows Christ. They don't follow a person, right? If you follow a person, what's going to happen? 
going to be disappointed because you're going to see the person and you're going to go, oh, I can't believe that person's a sinner too. But, but yeah, all pastors are sinners. I want to tell you, I'm a sinner. Every pastor I know is a sinner. I have witnessed some of the sinning. I've been with other Christians that are sinners that will cuss right in front of me. And I'll look at them and go, what? What? What was that? You know, and the Bible says, don't let the filthy language come out of your mouth. I, I've seen acts like that from Christians. And I just go, brother, you know, come on. We, I know we can do better than that. We, we can do much better than that. But it's difficult to walk with this idea that we're all sinners and we got to do what is right but that's what ends up happening naturally the things that we want to do eventually get carried out even though we stumble and fall along the way the bible declares that a righteous man will fall how many times seven times he'll fall seven times and then he'll get back up seven isn't the limit by the way you fall seven times and I'm not getting back up anymore. That's it. Seven times and I'm done. No, it, that's not how it works. It means every time you fall, you get back up and you start walking again. You start walking in Christ. Is it pretty much a given that you're going to fall at some point? Yes, it is. But that's where the grace of God comes in. But see, even in my early Christian walk, I had a big question about this. Why can't I get this right? Well, God says you won't get it right, but God says you won't sin anymore. Well, how is it I won't sin anymore and I can't get this right? Give me the magic key, the potion, the pill that I have to take, the blue pill or the red pill? Which one do I need to take to make sure that I'm not falling anymore? And, you know, God eventually revealed it to me when I was a young Christian. You won't get it right. You're going to fall, get back up. You're going to fall, get back up. Keep going in that direction. But the point is you have to set your sights on a direction. What happens a lot with us in our Christianity and our walk with Christ is we get saved, we go to Sunday church, we go to home fellowship, and we eat because it's called Calvary Chapel, right? We, we just have a great time of potlucks and, and wonderful time. Well, God says, no, you're supposed to take up your cross daily. Well, what does that mean? First, you're suffering because you are fighting the flesh. It's always a painful battle to do that. But secondly, you are saying, I'm going to choose to do something for God. You pick it. God will put it on your heart. But you pick it. And then you head in that direction. Now, you can decide what it's going to be. It can be to uh, ministering to the homeless out there. It can be uh, being an evangelist, giving somebody the word of God. It can be buying donuts for the people on Sunday morning. It can be taking a trip and helping a missionary out that needs is in dire need of some help and just needs things like cabinets and sinks built and a couple of walls put up. You can do that. There are so many things that you can do. You can just be a prayer warrior. You can be praying all the time if you have musical skill. Put that skill into practice, into use. Make sure you become the best that you possibly can be with Christ. But please don't sit there like a mushroom not moving and just kind of existing and non-mobile. Do something that the Lord has put on your heart. Now, if you've heard this before and you're just saying, yeah, do something, schmooze something, whatever. Look, you got to be pressing towards the mark. 
the prize for the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Whatever you think you're going to do here that's going to get your reward, no reward makes it to heaven except that which you do for Christ. He will reward you for that. Whatever you do for yourself, no reward. If you do something for someone else, like for instance, the Bible declares to us that if you give a cup of cold water in the name of Jesus to somebody who needs it, you certainly will not lose your reward for that. If all you ever did was give cold water to people, you'd still have a reward. But just make sure you're doing something. Now, that is not to negate the fact that Christ has done everything. This doesn't mean that your salvation is contingent upon it. But if you have salvation, you will have the works because you have the love which works itself out in deeds. James chapter 2 talks about that. Show me your faith without deeds and I'll show you my faith by what I do. You believe that there is one God good? Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish man. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together and that his faith was made complete by what he did. And so that's what we're supposed to be like. is like Abraham willing to do anything for the sake of of Jesus Christ because that's where we're going to be. So this old nature will interfere. The things that we want to do are not going to be the things that we end up doing all the time. Now, I would put it like this towards the end. If if you have this struggle with sin, what do you do with it? Now, you're going to be in one or two camps with this. You're going to declare it like God does to be evil something that needs to be crucified, something that needs to be subdued, or you're going to make a treaty with it. God doesn't like treaties. You cannot say, well, I'm going to tolerate this for a little bit. I know God will forgive me, but you know, I'm, it's all right. I can do this. No. Bible says, should we sin that the grace of God should much more abound? God forbid. And he says, do not make, and I'm putting this in Bill's version, okay? do not make a treaty with sin. Do not say it's okay. Make sure you point to the sin and say, bad, this is bad, and I need to kill it. I need to crucify it. I need to bury it. Many times, especially in our society, that's what we're doing. Our, our society is being lulled towards the sense of, whatever you want to do it's just fine god is a forgiving god he will forgive you for whatever you want to be involved in it's okay and you know you just go through your struggle just make a treaty with the sin you don't have to be contentious about it and things will be just fine no they won't be just fine god says do not make a treaty with that which he calls evil he says you have to completely put it to the side. Even though you may fall in your life, you still have to declare it. It's wrong. How many people have said something is wrong and yet they've been involved in it? And we would say, well, that's hypocrisy, right? But at the same time, which of us in here is not a hypocrite? We all are. All of those things we've always pointed to and said these things are wrong. That's where humbleness comes in. That's why Jesus said, he who is without the sin or any sin cast the first stone. These men became humble 
in the sight of Jesus Christ, knowing that they were sinners just like this woman was, and therefore they were not going to cast a stone. And so if you see somebody who is in a sin, the last thing we do is cast a stone. Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 5 says, if somebody is in a sin, we are to go to them and kick them out of the church, is what it says. Now, if you just took that passage, and that's the only passage you took, nobody would be left in church, right? And so what we're to do is confront lovingly those people who have made treaties with sin. Uh, A common one is uh, couples who live together. Now, normally, I don't do this. Normally, other men in the body do this. Uh, other leaders, they will go and ask a couple, you know, is it true what I heard? You're living with somebody. And they will say, yeah. Now, we've done this a couple of times, and and it's not to bring condemnation on the individual. That's not the purpose. The purpose is to restore them with Jesus Christ because if we harbor a sin and we know that it's wrong, we feel this guilt And it separates us from fellowship with God. If we're a believer, it does not separate us in our salvation. But 1 Corinthians chapter 5 is pretty clear. It says if somebody wants to remain there, then they can remain there outside the church. They're not supposed to remain there inside the church. And in the past, we've had different reactions to this. Um, And this is a common one. This isn't uncommon. One time I was, we were in the other building and I was sitting down with a couple and they were living together and, and uh, I said, you know, you guys are backing me into a corner here. Let's just, if you want to live together, let's just get married, all right? If you guys have been together for a couple of years, let's just get married because a little leaven leavens the whole loaf and we're supposed to deal with this at the church and I let them know, you know, this is not good for the body and you can change this. All you have to do is get married and you know otherwise and i read to them first corinthians 15 it's like what do you want me to do here you know do i follow what the lord says or do i just agree to bring you in well what am i supposed to do and i kind of appealed to him like that and i said you know when you're walking like this you're showing that you really don't love the lord the way you're supposed to and the man turned to me and he goes oh i love the lord so much and i thought No, you don't, because you're not willing to give this up. And this was a person who was making a treaty with the living together. Like, it's okay, you know, God will forgive us. And God says, no, don't. Don't do this. And if you're a believer, you have this desire to purify yourself. Another time there was a couple, and I didn't talk to them about it, but a couple of the elders did, and they went to them, and the the man got all defensive. It's like, Dude, you know, we just, we want to help you make this right. We don't want to make this wrong, you know, or, or allow this to remain wrong. A lot of people know, and they've been asking us. And so now we have to, you know, ask you, is this true? And they'd say, yes, it is. And they left the church. They just left. Then they came back a year later. They were all smiles. They were married. You know, it's like... <laughs> Well, why didn't you guys just get married? And for some reason, the guy had cold feet on this. You know, and then another couple. Yeah, this has happened several times. Another couple. We talked to this other couple. And uh, because, you know, rumor starts to go around. If, if you're involved in the body, 
if you get to know the body. And that's what God wants. God wants us involved in fellowship. He wants us to have relationship, right? He wants us, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> to talk with each other and get to know each other and pray for each other and, and assist in any way that we can. And so when you're doing that, when you're involved, then you just naturally have these conversations and it comes up and then pretty soon you hear this little underscore, this and it goes through, are, are they married? I don't know. Are they married? I, I don't think they're married. No. I, and, and so then it gets to my ears or it gets to the ears of the elders. And so this one couple went and asked them. And this guy used to serve as a deacon in another church. And I asked him, and said, are you guys married? And the guy said, no, we're not. So they weren't at church the next week. Following week, they came back. We're married. We went down to Mexico and got married. And we came back. You know, it's the only sin that you can just get rid of by going to the justice of the peace or going to a path and getting married. Now, we do premarital counseling here. If you are someone like that, hey, look, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, but let's not make a treaty with sin. Let's call it what it is. The fellowship with God is interrupted. And, and this is for your sake and for the sake of the body in general. You know, I heard one comment when it came to uh, Caitlyn Jenner. This comment was, it doesn't bother me. You know, as long as they're doing what they're doing, it doesn't bother me. They should be free to do anything they want. And that's the idea that no man is an island. No matter what somebody does, especially a high-profile figure like Bruce Jenner, to make this change, you know how many people are going to now make the transition because of what he has done. And scripture in Leviticus chapter 5 says, you're not supposed to do this. You're not supposed to live like this. So there is going to be sin that is going to come in others' lives because of that behavior. Both believer, quote-unquote, and unbeliever who will fall away, so to speak, who will go to the way of the world. And that's not an issue of salvation or losing salvation. Just be aware that the way that we live will either encourage others or it will cause others to fall away. And we want to make sure that we are living in such a way, not only for our own benefit, for the benefit of Jesus Christ first and foremost, but for the benefit of everyone else around us. Now, this is a hard message. We don't like to be told that we're sinners, right? We like to think we're okay. We're pretty good. We have bumper stickers that say, I'm okay, you're okay. We're not okay. It's only in Christ that we are okay. And in order to honor him, that's simply what we need to do. So the encouragement with this is we are to turn away from sin, have this desire to want to purify ourselves, knowing that we are frail. And when we fall, God will enable us to stand back up. And we remain humble before him. And we remain humble before everybody else. And we do not point the fingers. And by the way, when it comes to judging, it does say that we are to judge those inside the church and not those outside the church. Now, those outside the church are in the flesh. They cannot help it. That is their flesh that predominates every area of their life. Where inside the church, it's supposed to be the spirit. 
And if somebody has allowed there to be a treaty between them and sin, that's where we come along and encourage and say, look, don't. And after hearing this, if you think, well, great, somebody's going to find out that I'm living with somebody and that's, that's just it. I'm leaving. Well, you know, ask yourself, is that God's will? You know it's not God's will. God's will is that we change. And it doesn't have to be just living together. It can be anything else. And it should drive us to the point where we fall at the feet of Christ and we say, you know, I hate this existence. I hate the fact that I have to struggle with this sin. And one day we have this blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that's what we look forward to. So it's not the idea that we'd come along with the scripture and beat people over the head with it, but we instruct them, we encourage them to do what is right. And if there is this treaty, I'm okay, you're okay, well, then you need to just fellowship with the world. And you need to go there. And if you're a believer, you will become miserable. You will get sick and tired of hiding and being somebody that you're really not. If you're able to say, I'm a sinner and I want to correct this, you know how. God will show you the way. Now, at this time, what we're going to do is we're going to receive communion. And we are going to show the grace of God that he gave to us, that we were all sinners. If you, Kim, would come on up. And if the guys would get ready. We're going to pass out this communion. I'm going to say a few words about it. But the reason we receive communion is because we recognize that we are sinners. And God has given his grace to us, and it is by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ that this can only take place. So as the song is being sung, if you need to confess something to Christ, go ahead and confess it. And just say, you know, God, forgive me for this. Forgive me for making this treaty. And as you take communion, God will renew you. He will set you right before him because of the confession of your mouth. So if you guys would come forward and grab this, that would be great.